Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Religious and secular ideologies share much in common, including their emphasis on personality and identity. Who are you? What are you? What group are you from? What do you believe? Are you one of us? These questions betray our fear of each other and take attention away from what really matters, namely our ability to receive and to share knowledge and the actions we take based on knowledge. In religion, this emphasis unfolds as idolatry under the guise of devotion to God. Instead of asking, what does God teach, we ask, who is God? Instead of acting on God's teaching, we ask others about their relationship with God. Contrary to widely held assumptions about the fourth gospel, it is not God's identity that concerns John, but knowing the teaching of the Father, the very wisdom that sent Jesus to the Gentiles. In today's episode, Richard and I discuss John chapter 5. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 68 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Father, you were talking about how a lot of people say you need to know Jesus as your personal Savior and how you need to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? I know Jesus. If you know Jesus. And how much people repeat this in our culture and in Christian culture in general, you keep hearing this. And how ironic it was, reading the story of the paralytic, how when they asked, who was it who did this for you? He said, I don't know, but it was this guy who did this for me. And he doesn't even mention the name. They never had formal introductions. He didn't know who the person was who saved him. But yet he knew what to say and what to do, which is very interesting. I find this whole section of John fascinating because it's not just in popular Christianity that we have this hyper-Western emphasis on personality and emotion. I mean, that's a problem of modern religion that even transcends Christianity, unfortunately. But even in classical theology... You have lots of efforts spent to argue that John is about the personality of God, but this is incorrect. It's a gross misreading of the text once again, because John is written by the same school that produced Mark, that produced Matthew, that produced Acts. Now, there were different writers, and they were addressing different historical circumstances. I'm not trying to blend all of these texts together or massage them into some you know, amorphous blob, but they are from the same school, which means that the Gospel of John, like all of the other canonical Gospels, reflects the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And the school of Paul, of course, makes up the majority of the New Testament. So the New Testament canon revolves around Paul's teaching. And Paul's teaching reflects the Old Testament school, which revolves around Ezekiel's teaching. So it's very clear to me that these ideas are being regurgitated over and over and over again. 
And these schools, the prophetic school and the Pauline school, are not interested in the personality of God because the personality of God, like the pictures of God and the statues of God, all of these things are problematic for the biblical writer. And here I use the biblical writer to reflect the school of the biblical genre. So what's interesting about John chapter 5 is that you read in this beautiful story about this man who is sitting by the pool in Bethesda, and he is sitting in the domain of the five porticos, which is, as we've said before, metaphoric. It's a reference to the Pentateuch. So he's someplace where there is healing. There should be healing because there's water and life and where the Torah supposedly is preached. And on a routine basis every year, an angel is sent to trouble the waters. The prophets are sent again and again to stir the pot, as it were, to mix things up by reminding people what the meaning of the five porticos is and how they should be living and what a community that is fenced in by the five porticos, that is protected by those five porticos, those scrolls. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it seems kind of arbitrary who actually gets the healing from this according to this method. It's, well, one person gets it depending on if they're fastest or if they have the most friends or whatever. It's kind of arbitrary. It doesn't work consistently who's able to get the healing. Well, that's the problem, right? Because if people were actually listening to the instruction of the five scrolls, they would not be tripping over each other to get into the water. That's the sin. Because the instruction of God's Pentateuch demands, as does the instruction of the prophets, that you look to the weakest in the community and you take care of them. So each time a person stepped over this poor guy laying there who couldn't lift himself up, the paralytic, each time someone stepped over them and went into the pool, if they were healed, it was a judgment against them. That's why those of us who are scriptural are very cautious about differentiating what's from God and what is not from God. Because very often, something good that happens to you works against your edification and works towards your judgment. And something that is uncomfortable for you works toward life and hope for you. And it serves your edification and your upbuilding as a disciple of God's teaching. But the main thing for me is that Jesus comes, he rescues him from his wandering in the wilderness. And there's something else in this question, do you want to be healed? Because he's not just confirming his weakness. I mean, this is the Pauline sort of flavor of this passage. He's not just confirming that he's completely dependent on God and completely without initiative or power, which is what the scene sets up. He's also confirming that he's ready to do the heavy lifting. Because if God heals you, with his teaching. He's healing you so that you can do his work. Your day of labor is his Sabbath, so to speak. The scene sets it up clearly. All these people who could walk were not using their legs to do what God wanted them to do, which was to take care of their brother. But if I heal you, you are going to walk and there's going to be work to do. So he heals him and he walks. And then, of course, he's confronted by the chorus of people that appear in these stories, it's classic literature, who start antagonizing him about whether or not he's following the religious rules, which is a theme in John. And then they ask him, Who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? 
The man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. He was healed, he was able to walk, and he was able to repeat the instruction that Jesus gave him. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. As I said, this is the classic hypocrisy of the religious institution in the Gospel of John. So it's the hypocrisy of the church that John is criticizing, who, as Paul says, want to emphasize days and seasons and so forth, because they're no different than any other religious group that wants to enjoy the infrastructure of their ritual. Here the Pharisees are ignoring the fact that he was healed, that he's now walking, what they aren't talking about. This is striking. They're not talking about, wow, you're walking. Well, they're theologians. They're interested in who God is. They're interested in who it was that taught you because they want to know what his lineage is, what his pedigree is. They're not interested in what he taught you and what the outcome was. Who has the right to tell you to break the rules of our community? It's like asking, are you Orthodox? Do you fast on Wednesday? Are you Roman Catholic? Do you go to church on the high holy days, etc., etc.? Et oh, you don't fast. Who's your bishop? Oh, that bishop. You know, that's... Or you listen to this person, or you go to this church. I mean, people always want to focus on identity because it's built into our biology. It's a mechanism of survival, and the prophets are always trying to undermine survival. This is an important theme in this podcast because it's really at the heart of what Scripture is doing when it deprograms you. Well, it deprograms you because it is explicitly challenging authority because on what authority they're implying did this person say you don't have to follow these rules. Why? Because we are the ones who have the authority to say who follows what rules. No, the five porticos, or forgive me, what the five porticos represent in the story, those five scrolls hold the authority. And when Jesus gives the instruction to the paralytic to get up and start walking, it's the halakha, you walk according to God's instruction. So Jesus isn't even saying what Jesus thinks. He's simply doing what the prophets struggled to do all along when they would come trouble the waters with God's teaching. He was giving the life-giving instruction. Well, I don't think that the Pharisees would say that they're following something besides Torah. But that's the tension, though. That's exactly the tension, because they're blind. Just like Peter believes that by making sure that people are circumcised, he's following Torah. Because the measure of whether or not you follow Torah is not who you are or what group you belong to, or what your title is, or what clothes you wear, or how you prepare your meals, or whom you sit with, etc., etc. The measure is what you do. And here you have a man who is doing the life-giving commandment of God, and they're questioning whether his action and the fruit of Jesus' action is wildly manifest. And instead of saying, thank God, that someone followed God's teaching and was able to bring life to this character. They're saying, who was he? And how do we know we can trust him? Now, at the beginning of the podcast, I said the same thing. I said, you can't know whether something good is truly good or something bad is truly bad. But your measuring stick for what is truly good and what is truly wicked is the five scrolls. So once again, their judgment is off. There is a way to determine whether something is edifying 
when you put it under the light of God's instruction. Well, in Matthew, when we have the critique against the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus doesn't say that they have no idea what they're talking about. He says they're emphasizing the wrong things. Right. And this is, I think, the subtle distinction that our listeners need to understand is that a lot of people can say a lot of stuff and be, quote, Bible-based, unquote. The Pharisees are Bible-based in this. You sh- you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. They're correct. However, the critique against them is that there are things from within Torah that are more important than the things that they're getting caught up on. Justice, mercy, kindness. As Matthew says, you should have paid attention to these without neglecting the tithing of mint and cumin and dill. Because the tithing of mint and cumin and dill is given to put you in the frame of mind that you're a failure so that you would never judge someone and by virtue of your self-righteousness neglect the greater duty of the love of your brother. They always want to be doing the ones that are easy to tick off on a list rather than the ones that are more difficult. Submitting to the one who heals your body, you owe your entire life to that person. And as a result, you could be led anywhere. But not doing this or not doing that or making sure you do these, those are easy. And it's easy to neglect the difficult ones, the ones that really strike to your heart and strike to the heart of your ego. Right. But the ones that are easy to check off the list, those are easy to gravitate towards. So whether you wear a head covering in church or not, piece of cake, you can check that one off easily. How are you treating the one who is humiliated by the community? That's a lot more difficult. Exactly. So they gave him this question, which is a question based on their authority based on the authority of their institution, of their religious practices, which all form the lens through which they think that they're reading Torah. But there are no lenses allowed in the kingdom of God. You have to hear the Torah as Torah, raw, directly from the Father. And that's what Jesus received, and that's what he handed on. So when they examined him, so here he's before the spiritual court, you could say. So the spiritual court is questioning him, and here was his answer. He who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. So he's repeating what Jesus said. This is very important because we know that because Jesus spoke, the man can walk according to God's instruction. And we know that through Jesus's repetition of his father's instruction, his will, this man now is educated and he is able to repeat exactly what Jesus said, which is the highest calling in scripture, to be able to repeat scripture. So we know that the outcome was good, and we know that the outcome refers to God's instruction. So what more do the scribes and the Pharisees need? What more does anyone need? They still want to know, who are you with? Who is it? Do you have an identity card that says you're kosher? But the man who was healed did not know who it was. So I want to really stress this point. He was healed, and he was following God's instruction. And he was preaching Torah, and he had no idea who healed him. This is not a coincidence, and it is not a slight of the pen. This is on purpose, because in the Gospel of John, contrary to popular understandings of this text, it does not matter who healed you. It just matters that he taught you Torah, and that he set you on a path to do the will of God, which has nothing to do with God's identity. It's all about the five porticos. 
So he didn't know who it was because Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. The identity is not the question at hand. The fact that he healed him and taught him is not enough for the Pharisees. But that's all that matters that's in life. That's all that matters. And I think that's what's significant about this is that the Pharisees are ignoring the most important parts going on here, which are he healed him and he taught him and he commanded them. But all the other stuff is what they wanted. Okay, yeah, yeah, we know, uh, okay, sure, Torah and teaching and healing and stuff, but who was this guy? What else do you need to know? This appears also in secular literature. It's a kind of motif where someone does a tremendous act of kindness or an act of mercy or gives a, a gift of some kind to someone and the person appreciates it and they don't know who it was, but it doesn't matter. It's the gift that counts. Your parents, your teachers, people that you respect, that you look up to, all these people will be gone one day. And if they go before you, the most important thing is not the fact that you held their hand or got to go to the movies with them or sit and talk to them. The most important thing is what they passed on to you and whether or not you can continue to share it and benefit from it. The relationship is not the end. In certain circumstances, it's a means, but it is certainly not the end, and it's certainly not essential. Because we see here, the guy knew nothing about Jesus except the content of his instruction. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore. You've been given a second chance. You've been welcomed back into the fold of God's household. Don't blow it. Classic. Yeah. You have a duty to do now. Classic Paul. Because I don't want anything worse to happen to you because if your foot slips, your enemies will magnify themselves against you, as the Psalter says. Then the man went away, and then he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And parenthetically, I just recruited another laborer. So here... Jesus' identity is exposed in order to serve the will of the Father, which is the crucifixion of Jesus. Because, ironically, they're so ambivalent towards God's instruction that the only thing that will lead to the persecution of Jesus is the personality of Jesus. It's a very interesting twist in the narrative. So everything sort of has its purpose. So it's something to think on and to reflect on as you work through John, and it's a theme that I'm sure we'll come back to in future episodes. Thanks so much, Richard. Thank you, Father. Have a great week. Thanks, you too. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.